Hey church, hey City Life, how's it going? Welcome to our Vision Minute for the week. Our call, we have a simple calling. We have believe that God has called us to three things. To find home, to encounter Jesus, and pursue gospel change together. And we do, we, everything that we do has to fit one, uh, at least one of those things. That everything that we do as a church and everything that we're about boils down to these three things. And this week I read a passage here that I just was blown away. I don't know if I've read it uh, or forgotten about it, but I was just blown away. It helped me think about what was happening in the world a lot more clearly. It's Proverbs 13, verse 23, and it says this, A poor person's farm may produce much fruit, but injustice sweeps it all away. A poor person's farm may produce much fruit, but injustice sweeps it all away. You see, Scripture gets it. He, the scripture gets it that people who are the poor, the oppressed, or the people groups, the communities, the racial groups, whoever in that day is being oppressed, is not because of a lack of talent, of imagination, of beauty, of inspiration, of talent. It's not about any of these. It's that those in power who want to keep power are Cohen and take everything that the poor produce. You see, the poor are powerless to stop the powerful from just coming and stealing, from coming and co-opting, from coming and poaching what they produce. And so us as a church, when we are talking about all this racial inequality that we see in our country and we have to respond to, we have to think of practical ways to counteract what we see, we have to make our faith as practical as the oppression that we see all around us. And so one of the ways in which we've been doing this is leaning on our leaders uh, in Jersey Together, who are this collection of nonprofit leaders, of congregational leaders, of faith leaders, and saying, how do we make all of, all of what we want, all of this just society that we are, feel called to, how do we make this a reality? How do we take steps towards doing that? And so we came on this call this past Monday with one of our federal senators and other members of our New Jersey legislature, and we asked them to be accountable to four things. We'll put this on our website. We'll, we're going to com be communicating this more. But the first one we wanted to at least state today, the first one is the, to end suspension of driver's license. 42% of people who lose their license lose their jobs. And disproportionately, there's people of color who lose their license. And so the state collects, New Jersey collects $100 million of surcharges. That is almost entirely off of the poorest people in our state. And so we want this to change. The second is that the past sentencing reform that reduces the racial disparities in New Jersey prisons. New Jersey prisons have one of the worst representations of race in the whole country in prisons. If you're black and you live in Morris County, you're 22 times more likely to be in prison than any other group. This does not just happen and this needs to be corrected. The third thing was to invest, calling the state to invest in reducing the racial wealth gap in our state. The average household income, the average household wealth of New Jersey is actually the highest in the whole country for whites, and it's on average $353,000, whereas the average household wealth 
of black and Latino families are below seven, $8,000. That doesn't just happen. And then lastly, to invest in alternatives to incarceration for young people. Because dreams can't be dashed and destroyed before their lives ever really get started. And so church, remember we talk about how our response to this is going to be in our longevity, the amount of care, the amount of purpose that we have in following what we know the gospel is calling us to, and to help make New Jersey and Jersey City more look more like the kingdom of God. Look at, make it look more fair for everyone so that the fields of the poor can't just be taken, invaded and taken from, but that God calls his people to help the powerless regain their voices and their power. All right, so church, we will be about we will be elaborating on this, but we wanted to make it known today that we are making our faith practical and we're going to be sharing how we're going to be doing this as the weeks come about and as we learn more with our community partners. All right. Good morning, City Life. Good morning, Church. Good morning, everyone. We're so happy that we get to be another Sunday here together. Uh, even though it's online, we are still a church committed to Jesus Christ and the mission that he's given us to find home, encounter Jesus, and pursue gospel change together. No matter what season we find ourselves in, that is what we tie ourselves to. That's what we want to accomplish. And we are, I pray, more passionate about that today than we have ever been before in our past, uh, that we are continuing to go after what Jesus has told us to do. That no season, no pandemic, no nothing will change our devotion to him and also one another. I pray that for our church every day. Uh, I want to start today's sermon by talking about a story that I went through um, a couple of years, 10 years ago or something like that. Many of you know that I went to, right after college, I went to Chicago and I was an urban mission missionary, a volunteer urban missionary for two years and that in those two years, I went with this ministry called uh, Mission Year. And Mission Year, to me and in my eyes, is by far the best Christian program that you could join. That There's a whole host of other ones, but those are really just Christian tourism. And that Mission Year really ties you into a place and says, you know what, you have to care for the betterment of this community, or else this year is just another wasted year of your life. And so I love it. And this mission year just allowed me to go so deep in my faith in such a short amount of time and through it i was able to join once i decided to go to seminary i was able to join this fund that would help pay for some of seminary uh, but that really the value was in that they put us in cohorts and at least once a year we would go to a city in the country and we would hopefully sharpen one another talk about how our years of volunteer work went into launching and shaping our ministries going forward and it was always a great time. I met so many people that I never would have before. I even have a special time of ministering to someone um, from that one of these meetings. But I remember this one time that just I still remember today and it still triggers me a little bit today. I get triggered whenever I think about this. I was sitting at lunch one day and there, I, behind me, there was a conversation going on that I overheard. And if you know me, I'm, I, I'm not a nosy person. I don't interject myself into conversations that I'm not welcome to. But that day, I just got so triggered that I had to. I heard these people, two people talking. I 
physically got up and sat next to them and told them, you know what, I'm going to be in this conversation because I need to be, because I don't understand where you're coming from. And, and this is what they were talking about. These two seminarians who were going to be leaders in the church surprised me, committed, loved Jesus. I just had no idea where they were coming from with this. They were talking about how freedom isn't all that is cracked up to be. They were talking about how when you're free, you have all these hard decisions to make. And they wish that they were in, the, in some circumstance where these decisions were just made for them. That life is simpler when you don't have freedom because your decisions are made for you. I, I even remember one of them using them and comparing it to, you know, I just wake up in the morning and I have too many socks to choose from. And I was sitting over there, I was like, I don't understand, this is hurting my heart and breaking my mind a little bit. I had to go up there, and in that conversation, I don't remember being very pastoral, I don't remember being very gentle. I just had to understand, I was like, well, we're, you know we're Christians, right? And we talk about a God who brings us free, freedom, who brings us out of oppression, you know, who talks, who has something to say about our physical circumstances, right? The world that we live in, that he hates oppression and poverty, and that in his kingdom none of these things will exist, right? You know this, right? You know that we have this teacher who came here, Jesus, he was, he was the Messiah, he was also a man, and he taught freedom. He started his ministry by reading from Isaiah, he, pronouncing freedom to all the captives, and to all the oppressed, I'm like, you, you guys get this, right? I, I, you're making me a little bit afraid here, right? Even as Americans, that we have all of this freedom that we really do, that really, uh, I know a lot of people want to be afraid over, but we're still free people and are really not in danger of losing our freedom. Um, and <laughs> whereas 80% of the world lives off less than $10 a day, I was like, I don't understand this. If not freedom, then what else? If not freedom from the kingdom of darkness or from life circumstances or from poverty or from oppression, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. And, and all of this has really been coming into my heart a lot as I've been reading Second Peter chapter 2. You know, where we are as a country, where we are with all this unrest, that people are being killed that division politically, racially, economically, socially, in every way is what we're all expecting. And that, what, God, what do you have to say to us in all of this? How do you make sense of this? How this world is too big. It, there's too many moving parts, Lord. You're our hope, and we know that to be true. We don't question that. How, how do we live that out? in what we're seeing. This is the day and the age that you've put us in, and so how do we live out your church's call here in Jersey City in 2020 in the U.S., in New Jersey? Last, time, last week we talked about how First Peter, chapter, Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 22, talk about, you know what? Peter was like, I, I lived with this man. I saw him transfigured. I saw him resurrected. He came, and he was the embodiment of God's goodness and glory. Everything that God is was in this one man, and it was in this body. He peeled it back, and I saw it, and he's like our morning star, the, the star that shines brightly in the sky, brighter than all the other ones. 
But more importantly than, than just that star, it also points that the dawn is coming, that there's hope coming, that there's sunrise coming, that the day is coming, that the darkness is going away, that it, the darkness will be dealt with and there will be no more shadows or hidden things. And it, and it caused us to remember, oh, Jesus didn't just come, but he's, he came and he's coming again. And so that makes what we do matter. That makes us as Christians, it makes what we do matter. You know, in the history of the church, hospitals and schools have always followed the church, has always been about what the church did. Because our faith has always moved us to respond to where we were at, respond to people's, the problems people face. And that call remains today. And so what we do in this life matters. We talked about that last week. That all of our life, all the sums of the parts of our lives come together and paint this picture that show the world and God, okay, this is what I really care for because I gave it my time, I gave it my efforts, I gave it my passions, I gave it my hobbies, I gave it my weekends, I gave it my nights, my mornings, I was willing to sacrifice this, I was willing to live sacrificially in this way, I wasn't willing to do this, I wasn't willing to do this, I said no to this because I knew I had to do you this thing that you told me to that I, I let God hone my calling and my life and so everything I did was in some way a response to what God what, what are you calling me to do and for us as a church we, we take that on and this week Peter continues to process this continues to hone us by talking about how Jesus is the better teacher that, that's, that's our idea for today quite simple and so as we prepare ourselves to hear this passage about Jesus being the perfect, spotless, blameless teacher, the better teacher, let, let, let me pray so that God can be, the Holy Spirit can be empowering all of this. The speaking of the word and the receiving of the word. Holy Spirit, that you would do something in our community that would spur us into pursuing you in a new, powerful way. So let, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for bringing us, for keeping us, for uniting us, Lord. I thank you for blessing us, for giving us your freedom. And when we call upon your name, Lord, we are new creatures, that we join your family, that we have this living hope that never goes away. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower this morning, empower everything that we do to honor you, for us to not have personal gain out of all this other than the fact that we follow you and that you, we get to know you better. And so, Lord, be with us. We welcome you here. We ask for you to drive all of this. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremy's going to bring us our word for today, so let's give Jeremy our attention. Jeremy, take it away, man. Good morning, City Life. My name is Jeremy, and I'm here with the scripture reading for today. A reading from 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 11. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. 
For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jeremy. And so we are continuing our Deepening Our Souls series here, where we're allowing First and Second Peter to come at us really fast to help us wrestle with deeper things of life, of where we are, of where we find ourselves, and how we can have this faith that is growing, that is far from being ineffective, that makes sense of the world in every season that we're in, that we have this faith that is a result from this product that is genuine and tested and weightier than gold, as First Peter talks about. We've also been doing this in our prayer calls, and so we're still doing that, church. Come to our prayer calls Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The details and the link on our website. And today we're tackling all of chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2. And it's, it's causing us to wrestle with this, that Jesus is the better teacher. Remember that 2 Peter is this memorial of Peter's te- all of Peter's teachings on Jesus and Jesus' life and the example that he left behind. Peter wants, he knows he's about to die and he wants the church to have something that he produced to remind, to continually be reminding us of his, this man who was at first a stranger, then became his friend, and then became his Messiah. You see, he's talking like, okay, all of these virtues, add them into your life, work them out, practice them. You're not going to be hit with some love lightning beam. You have to practice these, wrestle through them. You know, add brotherly love, self-control, godliness, steadfastness, and above all, agape love. Because agape love is the self-sacrificial love that God practiced with you. Even while you were still a sinner, God practiced this agape love and he brought you to him. And so you do the same for others because why wouldn't you give what you've received? And then again, last week talked about this morning star, about there's a dawn coming and so what we do matters. Let's keep pushing ourselves living in this. We talked about this legacy of love that Jesus' love changed Peter thoroughly all of the change in him was Jesus' love and the work, loving work of God and the Holy Spirit and how it changed him. It brought him to this new place. We see this seasoned pastor of a few decades now who is just so 
still so in love with his savior, his friend, and he wants to tell everyone about it, that he joined this legacy of love. And then Peter starts talking about this legacy of false teachers, of false prophets, that there isn't only just Jesus' legacy, but that there's this legacy of false teachers. And he's, he's, he wants the whole world to know, you know what, these people here, they're not doing this in Jesus' name. This is not the legacy of love that Jesus left behind. But he starts addressing these false teachers. And let's start with this first place. We've been calling it just plainly false teachers. So read with me verses 1, and, one 2, and 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, but because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. I want to pull three things for us here to consider in the first three verses. And the first here is that Peter uses uh, grammar wisely here. You know that I love Hebrew words, Hebrew especially, but, you know, Greek is fine. It's good. Um, I don't always get excited about the tenses, but here it's so important because Peter wants us to know, you know what, don't be surprised. There are false teachers during his day, even just a few decades after Jesus' life. There are already false teachers. Don't be surprised when we find them in our day. There will be false teachers in our day. And so he goes from the present to the future wisely here. He wants the church to know there will always be people who want to distort for the gospel for personal gain. There will always be people who, use, who are trying to use God as a vending machine, trying to benefit from him. Just like the people at the temple who Jesus had to overturn their tables we have this tendency as people to turn God into a vending machine, into an ATM. So don't be surprised. And so the, this first thing is that Peter wants us to know that it's, it's in our nature, though most of us don't take up on this, but it's in our nature to want to use Jesus like a vending machine, to benefit from him, to secretly bring in destruction, to secretly bring in heresy, to blaspheme for the purpose of gain. There are going to be people who do that, but they, they know what they're doing, but they know, don't know the destruction and the condemnation that they're putting on themselves. The second thing that we see here is that false teachers aren't just people who mean good and, and slip up on a word here and there. It's not people who, who want to speak and be good about building the kingdom of God, but no, these are people who intentionally breathe out heresy and death and destruction and people who twist the gospel for gain. We're going to see one person who, who tried to do this later on. He's like, okay, don't worry. Like, so many people read this and they're like, oh my goodness, have I ever blasphemed? Like, okay, if you're even concerned, most likely you haven't because you care. These are people who do not care, who are exploiting people for their own gain. And then lastly, Peter's saying here, you know what? People are going to listen. Don't be surprised when they listen. Verse 2 says, and many will follow their sensuality. People are going to want to hear what they want to hear. That's also in our nature. That, oh, if, if, okay, if I want to be rich, I might, I'm going to go after a prosperity gospel. Jesus, I want you to say to me that I am going to be rich, and so I'm going to be giving my money to ministries 
that will tell me how to get rich because oh that's what you have for me Jesus and so don't 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 be surprised don't judge the effectiveness or the quality of a ministry by the by the amount of followers they have you know because they're always going to be people who want to hear what they want to hear and seek after who let their sensuality their senses overtake them and driven more by sensuality than anything else don't be surprised I want to hear what I want to hear, so I'm going to go out and find it. So I, I, I think it's so telling the way that Peter writes it here. He says that when, they're, when the teachers and the followers are doing this blaspheming and they're doing this heresy and they're doing this condemnation and destruction, that they are rejecting the one who bought them. That Jesus came here and he, he came and he lived and he died. That he was the good and better teacher. He was actually the good shepherd. He was the one who loved our souls so much to the point that he gave. That number one, he came here in the first place. That he left king, his kingdom. He left his throne. He left everything and he said, you know what? I'm going to come down here and take the form of a servant. And, and die for them. I bought them. They are my, they are my groom. My... They are my bride, excuse me. They are the bride, and Jesus was so in love with them that he gave up our life for them. It's another reminder of Jesus' agape love for us and that he, he bought us with his own life, with his own blood. And what we do when we follow our sensuality, when we follow false teachers, when we buy into this willingly, when we say, you know what, no, I just, I just need to hear what I want to hear. When, when we're not a part of a gospel community that challenges that, allows the parts of scripture that utterly just say no (laughs) we're not okay don't do this no this is foolish if we don't allow that to be in our faith then we're turning our backs on the better teacher on the one who teaches truth instead of just what we want to hear now there have always been people who claim to be god i don't want to spend too much time on this but even alive today, there are still people around the world who claim to be Jesus. Jose Luis de Jesus, he died a, f- a few years ago, but he, for a couple decades, claimed to be Christ, diverted millions of dollars away from the church into his ministry, and con- convinced people that he was Jesus. He, his most devout followers, got the 666 tattoo, which is the mark of the beast, which we're not 100% sure what that means, but man this guy deluded people he brought in heresy Henry Cristo is this guy in Brazil he claims to be Jesus to this day for decades he's claimed to be Jesus 90% of his followers are women he exploits them Alan John Miller is this man in Australia today who claims to be Jesus he claims to remember his first century life and he says that his wife today is actually also Mary Magdalene and that they share the same spirit and that he has the secrets to the universe. That's what he titles his seminars. Uh, by the way, my Google searches this week looks like if if the IR, if the CIA is looking at me, they're gonna think I want to start a cult. I I really don't, Barry. Maybe you can help me with that. Apollo, I'm gonna butcher this name. Apollo Quiboloy from the Philippines claims to have six million worldwide followers. This guy is a millionaire. He's diverted millions and millions of dollars from people who think that he is Jesus, who have given him jets and helicopters and mansions, and who work for the church for nothing because they think he is Christ. Just 
delusion after delusion after hypocrisy after blaspheming. And people are going to listen. That was Peter's first warning. That there are going to be these people who want to do this. Who want to benefit off of lying. But you know what? Jesus is the better teacher and he doesn't just leave us there. Peter starts talking about this. I've been calling it the way out. Again, now that Ryan knows from the comment section last week what a Rolodex is, Peter goes back into his office, he goes into his study, and he's like, okay, let me go back to my Rolodex and think of stories from Scripture. And he brings out some of the most surprising stories because these are some of the darkest, gloomiest stories. We're like, Peter, why did you go here? You could have gone somewhere else. I don't know why you went here. But, it, but he has a purpose. You see, in, it's starting in verse 4, he talks about how God did not spare his angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. Now, the reference to this is still debated to this day. We're not sure. Is it from Genesis 6, most likely, or from an extra-biblical book called First Enoch? Uh, but the picture is here, is that God is radically committed to justice, to righteousness, and he does not divert, he does not lower his standard or he does not change who he is or his will or what he accepts is not in his kingdom. That even us as, as humans, that we think that we could play games with him. How foolish are we? We cannot play games with a holy God, who a God who is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. We can't play God, games with God. He is so committed that even he did not even spare these angels when they sinned. Then he goes... He goes even further. Peter's going in on this. He starts talking about Noah and the flood. And the story, uh, if, you, if you're not familiar, is that the whole world was wicked and sinful. And God even, he was questioning why he even created everything. Um, there's ways of interpreting that. Um, but he, he saw the whole world and said, man, I, I just got to start over. I got to wipe this all clean. But he saw this one man and his family and he made a way for this one man and his family to be rescued. He told them to build an ark. One man, one family out of the entire world. But you know, God said, you know, it is, it's worth it. I'm going to save my own. And then Peter also drops that and goes to an even worse story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the picture of evil cities of the warning to not be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, oh my goodness, is there a bigger picture of how corrupt the society could get that God was like he looked at these cities and he's like there is nothing good here I have to reduce this all to salt I have to reduce this I have to destroy everything but then how he saved Lot and his fam most of his family he saved Lot and he made a way out for his own and the idea here what, what Peter is really getting at too is that is that there, God always makes a way out for his own. Though the whole world is saying no, though the whole world starts believing in these false teachers, you know what, God will make a way for his own. For those who hold out for, to the truth, that if any one of these men that I mentioned before, if, if he gained the following of the entire world for us, we say, no, we hold on to our biblical Jesus, this Jesus that Peter knew and said would make evident his return. We hold on to that, you know what? Because Jesus is the better teacher, though. If I'm the only one in the world who says, no, I'm not going to bow my knee to you, then it's worth it, and God will make a way out.
See, the, Peter is getting really dark here for for a lot of reasons, but he's not, he's not mincing his words. He's not holding any punches. He, he the picture here is also really that my salvation, my future, and my hope relies on Jesus, relies on God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and no one else. That nothing in this world changes my standing with God, my assurance, and my salvation. You know, in the season that we're in, with all of this confusion and all of this battling, for Christians, we're like, oh my goodness, I don't really know what to do. I don't even know how to vote. I don't know how to go after justice. For us to realize, for us to remember that our salvation rests on Jesus. We want a good president, but no matter who gets voted, our salvation rests on Jesus. We want just Supreme Court, but you know what? It doesn't matter how many conservative or liberal judges are on there. Our salvation relies on Jesus. The laws on the books don't change our salvation because legality isn't always morality. My faith and my hope rests on Jesus. My faith, my hope, my future always relies on Jesus Christ and no one else. That Jesus, you get to be God and nothing else. No one else gets to claim that. And then and then Peter, he goes in even deeper. Like, Peter, okay, we get it. Slow down a little bit. And he starts talking more about these false teachers in the section that I, I've been calling like beasts. Read with me starting in verse 12. It says, but these, he's talking about the people, false teachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instincts, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deception while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Let's start there. Peter, he does not hold back. He says, you know what, these false teachers... They're not. They're like irrational animals. That when we say no to God, to Jesus, when we say no to the real gospel, it's like we lose our humanity and we're just like these animals. We're just like these creatures of instincts. We're born to be caught and destroyed. We're ignorant. And verse 17 is, has been the one that has spoken to me the most. They're like waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. These waterless wells. And in the desert, that was the worst thing imaginable. People would rather die of thirst than come up to a waterless well. Because when you see a water a well in the desert, you get this hope. It's going to be okay. I'm going to have release. I'm going to have water. I'm going to have what this thing that I really need. But then you get there and there's no water there. You thought this had answers. You thought that this would lead you to somewhere. But then you realize that you're not only still thirsty... But you have no answers. And it's like this mist driven by the storm. Wherever the storm and chaos is going, it's just following because it needs to profit off of it. P- 
Peter here is saying, again, if you know the truth, if you know the gospel, and you choose to turn your back on it and twist it for your gain, if you don't follow the example of our good teacher, Jesus, if you deliberately say, you know what, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to twist it, I'm going to use it for my good, I'm going to exploit people, I'm going to revel in the daytime, which is the saying, it's like this unfathomable amount of sin. You're not even just waiting for the night, for darkness to do your bad things, but you're doing it in day, broad daylight. You're reveling in your deception and that you're leading people astray willingly, man. It is not going to be a good day when you actually meet our good teacher, when you actually see him. It's like that they've, they're so enslaved and entrapped by their cravings that they really can't make decisions past where they're at. And then Peter here, as we heard, he goes back into his Rolodex and he starts talking about Balaam. Balaam is this crazy story about this, this man who could speak for the Lord. Israel was going and conquering, taking the promised land. And the Moabite king was afraid of them, even though God told them to leave him alone. He wanted to act. And so he's like, okay, Balaam, he knows the Lord. Let's go and we're going to throw money at him, as much money as he wants to come and curse, because we know that whoever he curses really gets cursed. And Balaam, he says no at first, you know, because he knows that he can't do this. He knows that he needs to listen to the Lord. And the Lord several times told him, don't say this. Don't curse Israel. You can't do this. But Balaam still, that money looked really good. That money looked really enticing. And so Balaam, you know, the Lord comes to him. He says, go with them, but don't do what they say. And on the way there, an angel of the Lord comes and Balaam is just so enticed and so trapped in what he wants that he doesn't see the angel, but the donkey does. And three times the donkey becomes afraid of the angel and Balaam beats the donkey. And then all of a sudden, out of God's humor, he makes the donkey be able to speak. And he speaks more eloquently than, than Balaam, this man who says that he could speak from the Lord. He says, why are you hitting me? Why are you hitting me? All these years you've ridden me. I've never done anything to you. I've never done you wrong. Why are you hitting me now? And it's this picture about when we are just so enticed about what we want, when we are so engrossed with profiting off of the gospel in wrong ways, that even the animals around us see God more clearly, see where God is more clearly, see what God's doing more clearly than we do. Um. <laughs> Crazy story. Balaam is a crazy story. Peter here, he's talking again about how when we say no to the right teaching, when we say no to following the example of Christ, that we're, we, we're no better than the animals. We're just like them, followed by our desires, our sexual passions of the flesh that he calls here later. But what do, So what do we do with all of this? Peter goes on and he, he talks about how they're entangled and overcome. And he uses this really, really, to us it might seem fine and sterile, but to the Jewish worldview this was disgusting. And how could it get to this? This was rock bottom. He says that when we, when we turn our backs on, on Jesus the teacher and make our own teaching, when we want to profit off the gospel in ways that we shouldn't, we're like this dog who threw up who the food was no good for them, 
threw up, but it's like, oh, no, actually, it might be good this time. Let me go do it. Or I might get something good at it this time. Let me eat it. Or like this pig, the picture of the most unclean, dirtiest, grossest animal in the Jewish worldview who gets cleaned and it's like, clean pig, okay, that's still dirty, but at least he's clean, he might smell good, but then this pig jumps right back into the mud. But this is what, being a false teacher, of following this false teaching, of saying no and turning our backs to Jesus, of not being responsible with the gospel in the age that we live in, this is what it's like. And so what do we do with all of this? How do we bring this all together and allow it to speak life and hope into? We, we talked about how God makes a way for his own, but how does this all come together to show us Jesus a better teacher? The answer to this, at least one of the answers, I think, comes in John chapter 13. Last week, we looked at this real human experience that Jesus and Peter shared about how Peter, how Jesus restored Peter, asked him three times, do you love me, and charged him, put it, set him back on his feet, helped him out emotionally to deal with what he had about denying Jesus three times. And he set him back on it. This was part of what made G- Peter convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, the better teacher. It's because he's the only one who knows how to perfectly care for each one of us. And, and today we want to we want to go back to one of these human stories. Why Peter was just so convinced that Jesus was the better teacher, why Jesus was the Messiah, and it comes out of John chapter thirteen. In John chapter thirteen, Jesus is about to die. He knows he's about to die, and he's at the fa- the feast of the Passover, and he does the unthinkable, not just for him being the Messiah, but for him being their leader. He takes off his clothes, he humbles himself, he shows them, exposes himself to him, not fully, but he exposes them, he becomes indecent for them to wash their feet. And Peter's like, you know, these teachers, these false teachers do these things to profit and gain. But the better Jesus, the better teacher, Jesus, did everything not for gain, but for us, out of love. And he starts washing their feet, something that was just unspeakable for the, not only, I said, not only the Messiah to do, but as their rabbi, unspeakable that someone would stoop this low. And then, and then starting in verse 12, it says this. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly. Rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I love, this is the example that Peter had been giving from his Christ. You know what? A true leader, a true teacher, doesn't do anything from self-gain, doesn't do anything to benefit, does not profit from the gospel. A true leader, in the example of Jesus, he came and he did all of this out of love for us. He gave us his example. And so Jesus is the better teacher because he's the one who does it out of pure love. 
That is why we also say yes to him. That is why for decades Peter was telling the entire world, you know, this is my Savior, this is my Lord. He's the one that makes all things because he so loved the world that he gave everything. He left heaven to come here. He lived here with us mere people. He taught us. He was patient with us. He fed us. He was kind to us. He showed us mercy. He healed us. He casted out demons. He was this morning star that brought light back into the world. And yet then he also died for us and he bled for us and he experienced pain for us and he let us kill him. And then he came back and he set us on our feet again. Man, to Peter, he's like, I need us. Every second I have left in my life, I need to remind people about what he was, that he is the better teacher, that our lives matter, what we do with our lives matter, but then also we got to live those lives for the better teacher. And so church, man, let us follow in what Peter was doing here, what the Holy Spirit was causing to happen in him. We got to tell the whole world that Jesus is the better teacher, that he's the one we've all been waiting for. So we're going to take communion today as a whole church right after this. We're going to jump on a Zoom call together. The link will be in the chat soon. And we're going to remember the better teacher, the one who came and gave his life and served us, who showed this agape love, who helps us when there's no hope and he makes a way out for us. So church, here are our prompt questions. And we'll see you on the call very soon. We love you. All right, City Life, so today our prompt and our group time is going to be a little differently than it usually is. We, Someone on the oversight team had this idea, sorry, I don't remember who, of doing City Life speed dating in a way. And so we're going to be joining three different groups where we're just going to catch up with one another, and then we're going to have 10 minutes together to either talk about the question or catch up on life. And so every 10 minutes we're going to be in it with a different group of people we have to talk, catch up, answer the question, and then move on to the next group, all right? And so we're, this is the first time we're trying it like this. So here are our prompt questions. We'll put this in the chat also. The first one is just, just say hi and catch up to the person. We're called to be a community as well. Not everything has to be serious or to accomplish something. Just talk to this person. If you've never met them, introduce yourselves. If you have, catch up. Prompt number two, share about what God has been doing in your life since March 15th, since the last Sunday we've all been together. What has he been teaching you? Where, what has he been doing in your life? What has he been revealing to you? What has he been taking away? Uh, just share something meaningful about what this quarantine season has done in your life. Prompt, prompt number three, how do you feel when you hear that Jesus is the better teacher? Talk about your feelings again. We, every week we have one question designed to, tell, to get us in touch with our emotions. How do you feel when I talk about Jesus being the better teacher and how false teachers don't even compare to him? All right, City Life, let's join this call. We love you all so much. Can't wait to see each other, interact a little bit more. Let's jump on this Zoom call and then we'll uh, see you at MC's. I love you all.